You know, last week, first of all, I just want you to look at these banners. Just take a look around the room. These are not just decorations. These are not decorations. These are statements, proclamations. Just carefully just absorb, absorb, uh, observe them and absorb. We don't just shove a banner up on the wall for decor. Lord, this building might need some decor, but everything must speak. Everything that has breath must praise the Lord. And these banners, though they're material, they, they speak. They speak in our silence, but they shouldn't have to speak in our silence. It's us who should speak for them. They remind us of what God has said. And what God will do and God is doing and God has done in some cases. This is why every home, every family must have proclamations. Hello? Jesus, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament he said, teach these to your children. When they come home, teach them. Make sure the proclamations, the rules of God, the the ways of God are firmly established in the lives of God's family. And it was the parents' role to do that. And it was the, t- it was the uh, children's role to respond, but it was the parents' role, first wave responsibility. It's called first wave responsibility. Parents must speak to their children, not the church, not the youth group, not the children's uh, workers. No, you must teach your children. You can never expect your church to do that job for you. We get you maybe once uh, a week, and that's if you're good. Some don't turn up forever and ever. Uh, No church can change your kids' lives. You do that. That's your role. God gave them to you, not us. But guess what? When they're in our presence, we'll take responsibility as well. But we're not the sole responsibility. Uh, So we're not the sole... We're the one sole responsible for your children. That's what I was trying to say. So we must look around us and and see what God is emphasizing. Look. These things are reminding us. You can have things on the wall and they can just be part of the furniture. Or, you know, the, the mountains cry out. The rivers cry out. All of creation cries. The skies speak of his splendor. And when it comes to the church, you are his creation. You're meant to speak. You, ref- you show every time the Father looks at you, you speak when you're not even conscious that you're speaking. You remind him of his own glory. But you also have to speak for him on the earth to show others his glory. But you being on the earth and looking around, this is what your father is saying. This is not what your pastor's saying. This is what your heavenly father's saying. I'm just delivering the message what I believe the father has spoken. So emphasis is a very... I don't believe God is saying an awful lot in the world today. Many would shout me down for that, but that's my personal opinion. I believe he's saying some things, and I believe he can speak to you individually about anything he wants, and he can say a lot to you as an individual. But to the nations of the world, I believe God is only saying the same things he's always said. But every now and then he brings us a little bit of revelation and insight to what he's doing. 
But I believe God's opt, God's doing what He was always, what He's always been doing. I don't believe it's new. I don't believe it's anything like that. I believe God is doing what He's always doing. But it appears new to you in your time and your generation. So let's not confuse it. It's the same thing being done, but it's new to you in your time and your generation. But it's not new to God. The race you're running seems new to you, but it's not a new race. It's one that the patriarchs ran before us. We're joining with the great cloud of witnesses who ran before us in our time and in our generation. We must understand that God is a God of continuity and he's allowed us at this time in our life to join in what's already begun. So we may not be the finishing generation, but we can finish what God has told us to do. So in one sense, we, we are a finishing generation. I'd rather be a finishing generation than a generation that's finished. And there are many generations that are finished on planet Earth today. And yet, speaking tenderly to the tree, he's talking about a generation who is yet to come. One that's been told it's finished by different voices, but one that can be nursed back to life, like those dry bones in Ezekiel's vision, if you can speak the right words to a valley of dry bones, you can bring resurrection forth. If you can capture the right words at the right time. And that's what that banner over there is telling us. Speak tenderly to the tree. To anybody walking in, they haven't got a clue what that means. But to us, it's, it's in-house language and it's okay. But it gets a great conversational piece. Speak tenderly to the tree in Tameside. Amen? And I was saying that God... Last week, that God has been making emphasis to us. It's not a new message we speak every week. If you're here every blue moon, then it's a new message. But it's a continual message that God started to speak to me from, from Christmas. And at Christmas, God told us to stand up. Now, how many have failed in standing up? Step in. How many is failing and struggling to step in to what God is saying and doing? The answer is, the silence is we've all struggled at some point. Some more than others. To stand upon. We all struggle to stand upon what God has said to us. We, we get moved from side to side through, through emotions, through thoughts, through opinions, through... through And these banners are a reminder. These banners can speak to us at any moment in your life if you allow God to speak. If you think on the church we see and think, Lord, right now I don't feel, I don't even see that church. I don't even feel like I'm part of that church. Let that banner speak to you and, and show you where you are in that church. Well, I've not, I'm struggling to arise and advance and accelerate and execute. And, I, and my life doesn't feel like one of those soldiers right now. I feel like I'm fighting those soldiers. Well, then, Lord, let it speak to you and say, Father, maybe I might need to put my shield down and my spear down and stop attacking and start opening my heart to the Lord. It may be I've not become the move. I'm not even, I am a demonstration, but I'm the wrong kind of demonstration. And here's the thing about being the wrong demonstration is you move out, but you don't move on. And then, as the Spirit's fire right now, every eye will see it. And Well, I feel, don't feel anywhere near that right now. And God says, that's okay. 
you're still in the church, there will come a time when you'll be part of that company. Well, right now, I don't feel our nation's in right such a mess, Lord, that our nation does not know God. Well, okay, you can still walk in the name of your Lord. You can still walk in the name of your God, and you can still pray for your nation. But right now, I feel despondent, Lord, because I, I have this great picture of you going to do some great things in our nation. God says, nothing's changed. Just your perspective's changed. What's happening in our government right now is not taking God by surprise. And there are a few more players to stand up. I don't care who's got the mouth. I don't care who's got the, the so-called charisma. God Almighty has this nation in his hand. You know, I think the nation's more in God's hand than some of the churches. I think God can speak easier to the nation than he can to his church sometimes. So I'm not fazed by what I see. I'm fazed by what I know and what I feel. And you know what? Let me say this to you. And this is not a backtrack in any way, shape or form. I'm going to fight for our nation because I believe what God has spoken to me. I'm not political. I'm just prophetic. And, and I know this. If the nation goes the other way, my job was not to get the result. My job was to stand on and pray into what he told me. I leave the results up to him. You can't turn and say, ah, oh, we lost, so he couldn't have been right. Says who? Everything has a time, everything has a place. My job and your job was to stand on the word that God gave us and let the results determine themselves. Can I find a man on the ground who will do what I ask him to do? Hey, Jeremiah still went into captivity. He didn't feel like to Jeremiah, he won. But God has his purposes. Amen? So... If God is going to emphasize his purpose, the purpose he's been, he's been emphasizing to us is seek first. Everything, there has to be something above everything else. And it's not something, it's someone. It's someone. Jesus Christ, above all, all that you do, all that you think, all that you plan, Jesus Christ must be number one. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be a church believer who turns up every blue moon. Don't be a church believer who listens, takes notes, but does not know how to apply. Don't be a believer who just attends but does not listen. Don't be a believer who can't take instruction. Don't be a believer. Be a saint. Be a disciple. Believers is not enough. It's not enough. It sounds spiritual, but it's not enough. And I believe at this time, all these things are speaking to remind us of the primary emphasis to seek first God's kingdom, to seek first God, to seek first his kingdom, to seek first his righteousness. You think, well, sure, that's an order, one, two, and three. No, all them are our priority. They all should take number one. Amen? Because God knows by seeking first, you have lack and need. And there's a way that if your lack and need become number one in your life, they will take you into areas that you should not go in. They will bring stress upon your life that God doesn't want for you, you to have. If you could only realize that and see that. So God says, right, I can see this church has lack and needs. 
They don't see what I see. And we don't see what he sees. Yes? So God has to show us, from his perspective, what we lack and what we need. Because what we see is then what is what we pursue. And if we play a wrong emphasis on the wrong things, we will pursue the wrong things and go into the wrong areas. And we'll get the wrong results. And we get frustrated and we get full of stress and anxiety and all those kind of things. And God's saying, look, I don't want the dream center to be stressed. I don't want the dream center and the, and the people within it to be so heavily weighed down with their needs and their desires that they miss that the kingdom is the way of supplying everything they lack and they need. Now you say, well, I know the kingdom supplies everything, but you walking in that and trusting God at that level is a very different thing. It's a very different thing to trust God for all that you need and all that you lack. It's a shame that when we have to look at these examples of men and women who stood in times of lack and need, we have to go back three or four hundred years. We shouldn't be able to have to go back two or three hundred years to get our reference of people who stood in these moments. We should have them in here. These people should be in the here and now, not in the historic annals of a library. So in 2, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To keep me from being conceited. Is there any conceited people in this room? Well, no one's going to say yes to that, are they? <laughs> to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Let's just stop there a minute. When was the last time you had a surpassingly great revelation? You know, I... I a surpassingly great revelation where God's revealing himself in ways through his word. Through his word. God's revealing himself to you because there's a, you've got that kind of relationship with God where God can reveal to you great surpassing revelations. And when you get that kind of God working in your life where great surpassing revelations. Now, Paul had some great, deep, surpassing revelations. There wasn't a person in the New Testament who saw what he saw. Because even Peter said, some of the stuff he writes is a little bit difficult for even us to understand. So Paul had a level in God that maybe was just a little bit more than some of the others. He didn't have more of God, he just had a revelation and an insight. He had the same God, the same amount, but he just had a a different understanding in some areas. And that's why God entrusted him to write so much of the New Testament. And you know when you read the book of Romans and you read Hebrews and things like that, you're thinking, man, this is difficult. He understood the law. And he understood how to interpret the law through the eyes of grace. And, and when he wrote those things, he brings out these revelations that men, that the scholars and the leaders could not see and still don't know today. But Paul had an insight and a wisdom which could make him feel so proud and arrogant. But he wasn't. But yet he has this great surpassing, great revelation that was given to him, that was given to him because he had this great revelation, a thorn in the flesh. Now, you can debate what that is, whether it's his eyes or whether it's the love of the churches, concern for the churches, or some of the the brothers who 
say they love God and they're wanting to with you, Paul. Paul, I'm with you. Paul, I'm with you. And then they leave him. You know, you can imagine there are all those things probably brought some pressure on Paul's life. But make no doubt about it. This is a man with need. This is a man with lack. And it gives me great, great comfort to know that this man learned a key in God to rise up and keep the emphasis on his life. Paul never dropped the emphasis on his life. He carried it. He said, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. I've discharged all that God gave me. He, he kept the emphasis. And you and I must keep the emphasis. The moment you lose your emphasis, you look for another word. And there is no other word because the word that God gave you is the emphasis for your life. And, and so many Christians don't like, they get an experience which is contrary to the word. But it's not contrary. It's how the word unfolds. And they drop the emphasis and say, I don't like that word. Can you imagine your first, very, your first prophecy you ever received? Like Paul, I'll show you what you must suffer for my glory. That's not the kind of introduction you need on your first outing with God, surpassing great revelation. Oh, you know, if you give your heart to Jesus, he'll fulfill all your heart, heart's desire. That's what we tell people. It's a lie. He never promised to fulfill all your desires. So all of a sudden, I've got a word for you. Oh, Carol, the Lord's showing me that you're going to suffer and you're going to die in Rome. But no, she's going to join in for that gig. <laughs> but did he drop the emphasis? No. And neither must you. So God, knowing the road that Paul's going to have to walk and the prophetic word over his life, he has to supply something to Paul's life that's going to get him through and, and get him to the end and full, uh, of his race so that he can discharge everything of the emphasis that should have been emphasized. Paul never turned around and said, you know, give me another six months and I'll finish this thing. No, he was ready. And so you, so you and I must be ready. But there are things that you need to receive and understand so that you can keep on keeping on. With your emphasis. You know, people don't like your emphasis. People will try to distract you from your emphasis because they want you on their emphasis. And it's very important that you don't listen to people who will distract you from your emphasis. I'm about my father's business. That's his emphasis. So, now you listen to wisdom, you listen to counsel... You can't just go and do your own thing and say, I've got an emphasis. No, 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 we're not saying that. I'm not giving you a license to go and rebel and ignore chain of command and things like that. What I'm saying is, is that if you truly are a person with emphasis, you'll listen to the voice of God and the wisdom of God when it comes through other people. So he says, to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing great revelation, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. So God knows what Paul needs. Paul, sorry, God knows what Paul needs. He needs something to keep him on ground level. And he gives him a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, that doesn't sound fair, does it? Do you know, a thorn in the flesh can be the person you're working with. 
to stop you being conceited, God will bring things into your life to stop you being conceited. He'll stop. He'll stop at nothing to help his children keep the emphasis. So some of you go to work and you have bosses. And some of your bosses, come on, be honest, you want to punch them. Because they're annoying from time to time. And some of you work with people who are annoying and you think, can I just give them a righteous slap? Come on, because you're flesh and blood. Right? But you don't give them a slap. Why? Because there was given to you a thorn in the flesh to stop you from being a numpty. To stop you from becoming carnal. To teach you how to live. I had them in my factory. You have to learn to recognize a thorn in the flesh and realize that a thorn in the flesh is actually good for you. You don't want it. The more you resist it, the harder it becomes. Right now, you could be sat, in next, you could be sat next to a thorn in the flesh. I said could be. I didn't say you are. But listen, this is what you've got to realize. Hardship... Hardship is, hardship is God sent. Hardship is righteous. Hardship is heaven. Hardship is God. Stop saying it's the devil. Hardship, God allows hardship. Because you and I need times of hardship. And let me say, I know none of us want to hear this word. But we all need hardship. Because we won't grow. We won't grow without hardship. And hardship is not something I volunteer for, but it's not something I always want to welcome, neither. But he's going to find me. If I love God and want to serve his purposes, he knows my address. He knows where I live. He knows how to get in my house. He knows, he knows the code of my alarm. He knows the bank balance code. He knows everything because he's heaven sent. So he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. Why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? These may be some of your uh, responses to hardship. My grace is sufficient. I plead with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for... Right, so in the midst of your lack and your need, there is a grace... Now, people don't like the idea of this grace because they just, Lord, just supply the need. Just fix the lack. Well, I have done. But you need to understand my heart and how I work. I work through grace. I've supplied all that you need. Well, I'm going, Lord, this is not fair. This is cryptic. This is, this is so spiritual that I can't, it's not tangible. Oh, no, no, son, it is. But you need grace to show you how it works. So he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. So where there's grace, there's a power. There's a power to do what needs to be done, but it takes a grace to be released to you so that the power that comes with the grace enables you to live with a thorn in the flesh. The idea is not to get rid of the thorn. The idea is to learn to how to learn to live with it. Oi. If someone had told me that years ago, I'd have probably slapped him. 
It's not what I wanted to learn. It's not what I wanted. No, no, I want you to give me the power to remove the, fle- the thorn in the flesh. No, the power is to live with it. Some of you need to hear that word this morning. It's a word to your heart. The grace is given to you live with it and rise above it. And as you learn to rise above it and work with the grace, it gets easier. Now, I know you don't want to hear that, but I'm here this morning to tell you what you don't want to hear. Right? So this grace, we need to understand how it's given and it's supplied and how it works. Because you can't live. Listen, many of you have been laid hands on that much. You've got that much anointing and you still struggle. So why not try the grace? So, Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verse 2. Well, you're going there. I'm going to finish off that scripture. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, in your lack and in your need. My power is made perfect in your lack, in the midst of your lack and your need. My power, my grace. Therefore, then he says, watch this. Now the attitude, attitude adjustment kicks in. Therefore, I will boast. I don't see many people boasting when they're going through the mire. Thank you, Lord, for my weaknesses. None of us say, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that you have made me weak in this area. And I thank you, Lord. Oh, I've got the joy, Lord. I'm I'm weak. No one. I never heard anybody say that prayer. I never heard anybody pray that. I've never prayed that prayer. I always say, Lord, thank you for removing the thorn. Lord, let me remove the thorn and I'll save you the work. Lord says, no. But Paul has an attitude adjustment here and he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? Because I give the grace an opportunity to keep manifesting. That takes a different attitude, folks. God's got to help us Seeing the need and moving towards the need and embracing it uh, is a process. Watch this. I will boast. Glad, I, said, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. The grace has to rest on you. Why? Because whatever is allowed. Watch this. Whatever's allowed, or whatever you allow to rest on you, brings you peace. Because peace does not rest on unstable people. Peace is given to make you stable. So if I balance something, on, if I try to balance a coin on Carol's head, if she can't keep still, the coin is always subject to movement and it's going to fall off. True? Because the coin is not wide enough. But if she can come into complete peace... And stillness, I got more chance of letting that coin rest on her head. So when the grace of God comes on you, you have to learn how to operate in the grace so it brings you to a place of peace. And then there, Christ's power rests on you. You never build a life in a time of war. You build it in peace. I learned that lesson a long time ago. You don't build church in a time of war. You build in a time of peace. You make strong people in a time of peace. So that when a time of war comes, they can stand and defend and fight and advance. But you'll never build people's lives in it. When they're, if, they're, if people's in turmoil, you'll never build them. 
You can only add things to them when they're in peace. Special delivery, thank you, she receives it. But if she's, in a, if she's in a state of flux and she's all over the place, special delivery, I don't want it. What are you giving me that for? I don't see the need for that. I didn't want it. didn't even ask for it. Rejection, you see. No peace, nothing can rest on her. So, Ephesians. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. There's a way, to, there's a way it has to be ministered. There's a way it has to be given. There's a way it has to be imparted. Surely you've heard. Surely, surely. You're saying, well, well, surely by now you should have all heard. But no, surely, surely goodness and mercy wasn't flowing at this point. But surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. So God now gives it to Paul, the same grace that Paul received, the same peace that rested on Paul, the same thorn that Paul's had to learn to live with and overcome. Now this grace is operating on him. Now he can impart what he's become, what this grace has enabled him to become. He can now impart it into others. Now it was, Paul says it was given to me for you. It just wasn't given to me so I could boast. It was given to me for you. There's a purpose why God gives anybody something. When God gives grace to an Ephesians 4, he's not giving it so the man can build a ministry for himself. He's giving it to build the people of God. People is what we build, not churches. If we build people, we build church. But when you try and build church without people, you don't have a church. And this is what many, many people do not understand. So, a builder needs certain materials. The first thing a builder needs is grace. He needs God's grace to build, to impart. Because the grace given to me is for you. There's a purpose. It's not just about me supplying nice messages. It's not. It's not about me supplying healing or miracles. We can have a, we can have a front ministry where people are getting healed and all, and all that's wonderful. But that still isn't building you. So the grace is there to build people so that people reflect Christ. So he says this. Surely you've heard, God's grace was given to me. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. So something was made known to him that was not made known to others. For you. Now, every, for every carrier, there has to be a receiver. Does that make sense? So if, if God gives a man or a woman the grace... He's given them the grace to go and impart it into carriers. If there's no carriers, then the grace can't be imparted. And it can't be distributed, and it can't be taken, and it can't be shared. So therefore, the body of Christ can never be built in that location. But the problem is, is, is having the vessels who want to receive the delivery of the grace. There's the problem. I have no problem with what I carry... I have a problem with some of the vehicles that don't want what you carry. So guess what? We have to leave, just like the man does on your parcels, he leaves a note. Sometime tomorrow, I'll be back. You know, between this hours, you've now got to wait in. So he comes, and you've missed it, because you had to go to work. So now you've got to find where it came from. Now you've got to go and do it. Right, if you'd have been where you're supposed to have been, at the time it was delivered... 
you could have saved yourself a right load of hassle. Welcome to Christianity. Yeah, if you didn't order it in the first place, that's different. When there's something you ordered, it's worse when you didn't order it and someone's ordered it on your behalf and you're waiting in on their behalf. That's frustrating. But when you ordered something and, you, and you know, you can track it and you can, and you can find it. Only a couple of weeks ago, I had to go to the other side of the airport to go and get a parcel that I never ordered. Only to find out there was no parcel there at all. It was that thing for the heating. But now you're all receiving the grace that came from that part. It finally got it and now the heating's working. But I had to go all the other side to the airport to be, to, for them to look at me strange. So he says this, This is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The grace of God was given so that you could know more about Christ. Dimensions that he himself has revealed, has received. But now what he's received has to be revealed. But he's looking for a company of people who will carry and who desire what he has received. This is the, this is the challenge between the pastors and the leadership and the congregation. Do they want what's been received? And do they know how to impart what they've received? Or do they truly just, do they, or they just want to tickle your ears with what they've got? So he says this. This is, this is my insight into the mystery of Christ. So the grace is being given to reveal the person. Jesus Christ. It's not there to make Paul look good. It's not revealing Paul. It's revealing what Paul's received. It's not making Paul smart, good. It's not giving him a ministry other than what he's already been given. So many people use their revelation to build a ministry. Others use it to impart and build people. That which I freely received, I freely give. So, he said, My insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So God gives a grace to those who ask. God gives a grace to all those who ask. Now, why don't you just try God on that? Challenge... Why don't you just, this week when you're praying and you're seeking the Lord, why don't you say, Lord, there are things I do not yet know. In all my years I've been a Christian, there are so many things I don't know. Lord, I ask you, Father, for the grace that will reveal the mystery I still don't know. So I may know you greater and deeper. Lord, I can't know you, Lord, without this grace working on my life. So when you pursue the grace... And you recognize where grace is carried and where it's being released. There, at that point, wherever grace is received and released, or released and received, it's there to eliminate lack and need. So if you can see the need for grace, it can, allow, it can eliminate some of the things you desperately need and lack. Grace. God gives grace to the church. He gives it through the Ephesians 4 office. They carry a grace to equip, empower, and to supply what is lacking and needed inside God's people. They're not, one, they're not supermen. They're not wonderful uh, supernatural beings that 
should be put on a pedestal. They're God's chosen people, given an office, a grace, to go and supply what my church needs. When I say my church, I mean in Christ. So they've got something for you. And yet the man or the men who lead God's church, they themselves have got to find ways of getting greater dimensions of grace. Because you can only receive what you've got. And you can't give what you haven't received. Many pastors and leaders have lack and needs. And they can't reveal Jesus other than a few cliches. God supplies great measures of grace in order to reveal things you don't know and things you distinctly don't see. Now, if you're smart, just tell yourself, there's things I don't know, there's things I can't see. There's things I don't know, there's things I can't see. Now, this is not like Dorothy clicking her heels, but... If you're smart, you'll tell yourself, there's things I don't know, and there's things I can't see. Okay, Lord. So how am I going to find out those things I don't know? And who's going to open up my eyes to see those things I can't see? Oh, it's just me and Jesus. Well, you haven't done well with just you and Jesus, have you? Right, so you might need other people. And there's a problem for some people. Well, I don't like receiving from other people. Then you'll carry on with things you don't know. And you'll carry on with things you can't see. Because God reveals, God gives grace to people for you. He didn't say, you can come behind the curtain, it's just me and you, and I forget about them, you don't need them. There is no shortcut to the grace. There is no shortcut to the grace. When you get saved, you get a measure, you get saved by the saving power of grace. But now... There's an empowerment of grace to make known the mystery. That takes others to help you. You're not the Apostle Paul. You didn't run into Arabia for three years and sit in the desert and have someone teach you. Why? Because it's not needed. Because God's given us teachers. Paul had to have that because there was, no other, there was only one system on the ground. It was a religious system. If the Church of England was the only church around, I think I might run into the desert for six months. God gives grace in order to bring you clarity. Give understanding a new insight. Clarity, understanding, a new insight into the mystery and into the majesty of Christ. It's not just the mystery, it's the majesty. Seeing the majesty of God, wow. This is how we get to know him better in our lives. God gives grace for a generation that a previous generation never had and never carried. This is how generations are preserved. And this is why we have such things called remnant generations. God preserves. So whenever and wherever grace is released... And received, lack and need can be eliminated. Amen. So 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says this. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So, can we become a Macedonian church? Is the question I'm asking you. You can't say yes, because some of you don't, may not know what a Macedonian church is. Well, let me show you what a Macedonian church is and then you'll know what the people should look like. There's a dimension of grace that fell on these people 
And God, I believe, God wants to bring upon us as his people. So what is the emphasis of God? The emphasis of God is to seek first the kingdom, his righteousness. Knowing full well by this emphasis, there is need and lack. So God supplies the grace to help us keep the emphasis primary. And the grace is there to empower us. It's not there to distract us, it's there to empower us. To show the majesty and the mystery of God. So that the primary emphasis can be kept. Right? Because it's very difficult to keep the kingdom number one when you can't see certain things. Right? So God gives this grace so that the priority can be kept at its intensity level. Because every priority and every, sorry, every, every emphasis must carry an intensity level. Because the moment the intensity drops, so does the effort to keep it, the emphasis begins to dwindle. It's amazing when you see sport, the team that comes out, the phrase we use is like a rat out of a trap. That's called intensity. They came out like a rat out of a trap. But then they can't keep that intensity. And then the moment you lose your intensity, you take steps back. And somebody else then begins to take the ground that you once took. And that's how spiritual warfare works in our life. The moment we, look, we all go gung-ho, yeah, well, Jesus is great, fantastic, what a wonderful worship this morning, then you get out and slow but surely the intensity begins to wane and then you find yourself within a week back to where you was. Let the hearer hear the wisdom of the message. So the Macedonian churches carried a grace to give to those who were in need despite themselves having lack and need. Now watch this. One group of people have need and lack. But there's another group of people who also have need and lack. So the one who carried the grace in lack and need supplied what the others lacked and needed. Whose responsibility is it? Well, the one who's got the grace. The one who carries the grace can see what the others can't see. The one who carries the grace can do what others can't do. So there's always something given to you to do. And if you compare yourself with somebody else, you'll always justify yourself why you shouldn't do it or why they should have done it. But God says, no, no, no. Once I've opened your eyes, you're now responsible to find out what grace measure I actually did give to you. You won't find out what grace you've got until you start obeying what God's asked you to do. So out, listen to this. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let's look at the, the situation here. Out of their severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Listen to the qualities that came upon them with this grace. Wow. He says this, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then... then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had early made a beginning, to bring out about 
to completion this act of grace on my part. Now just get to that a second. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, so he's already in the dimension of grace, to bring also to completion this act of grace on my part. So there's a, there was something that started in Titus. Titus carried the heart of Paul. Titus knew what was in Paul's heart because the grace was given to Paul for him to make known the revelation and the mystery. So Titus knew what Paul's mission was. So Titus had a day called beginning. You've all had a day called beginning. It's when the day you all receive salvation. The grace begun in you. But now Titus is at another measure. Because now you've got to complete the work of grace by this act. By doing this act, you fulfill the heart of him you received it from. This is what we've got to see, church. That what's been given to you now must be completed. There is a measure of grace that's been given to you. And now it requires you to carry it and complete it. Why? By doing what the one who gave it you told you to do it. So I say to Carol, right, we're going to set a work up in Azerbaijan. Right? Azerbaijan's the new hot spot for us to go and pioneer a church. So she's saved. So Azerbaijan. 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 You can't forget that name, can you? Azerbaijan. It's not like magic, doesn't it? Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Ah. Right, so I now step back and Carol is going to Azerbaijan. Why? She's going because of the work that needs to be done. But Carol, at any day of her life, can decide. I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure. We've got kids. Not quite sure. But she agreed with me at one point. She received the measure for Azerbaijan. But she, and then she starts doubting. Then she starts, well, do we really need to go? Did God really say? And she has all these opportunities not to go and complete why the grace was given to her. Do you understand this? Yeah. And, I, and, and then so she picks the phone up. She says, hi, hi, darling. Where are you, darling? Are you on the way? Well, uh, yeah, I'm still in Morrison's. <laughs> what are you doing in Morrison's? Well, I'm having a breakfast before I go. <laughs> Honey, do you remember that we said we need to go to Azerbaijan? Yeah, I'm waiting here for you. I'll meet you there. She says, I'll meet you there. Carol, get your backside out of Morrison's. And get to Azerbaijan. Why? Because there's a work that needs to be done. And you, that's why you receive the grace to go and do it. Go and bring it to completion. Yeah. And so many people don't bring to completion what was given to them. And therefore, they get unfulfilled and frustrated. And then they go back to the front again. Oh, grease me up like a chicken again. <laughs> they get greased up like a chicken. What? To keep putting it down and nothing's ever complete. Listen, church. How many more people do you need to lay hands on you? How many more people do you need? How many more impartations do you need to do the things you've never done? And this is why the Holy Spirit does not move in churches because he has no vessels to complete what he's given to. He's given them the glory and the power to go and do something, but they will do nothing with it. But the minister says, come on, you know, I need a ministry. I need to show people that, you know, the power of God's working. But all he's doing, he's putting, he's putting hands on empty heads. 
Because there's no one desiring to go and complete what they've received and the reason why they received it. Let he who has ears hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us right now at this moment. How many more chickens do we need greased up? Well, the answer is none. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Your, your need, your need gave Carol an opportunity to complete the grace in her on your part. My grace is supplying your need and your lack. Now, not just me, you've, you've got that relationship with, with Christ. But what God gives to me, for you, will make the difference. But it's not the only difference, it's not the only impartation you need. You need a walk. And you need a work. And you need a witness. There's your dot. And you need, let me throw another W in there, you need a warfare. And a will. Let's go all the W's, we'll get them all in there. Don't be a wally. <laughs> but just, but then he says this, to bring to completion this act of grace on your part. But, jo, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also in, uh, excel in this grace of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test, oh, I love this, I want to test the sincerity of, of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich this scripture is a very very powerful Scripture, and it needs revelation, it needs you to partner with it. So, out of, the, out of the most severe trial, I don't know what you're going through right now, but out of the most severe, think of that word severe, you know it's pretty full on. It was intense, it was severe. Their overflowing joy. Something was able to go beyond their feelings and their emotions and their circumstances. Church, when will we ever get past the soul? When will we ever learn to respond by the spirit and not the soul? That's the challenge for every one of us. Every one of us. There isn't anyone who, can not, who can, doesn't apply to here. When are we going to learn to respond by the spirit and not by the soul? Their overwhelming joy surpassed all excuses, reasons, emphasis of the soul. And joy found a way around it. He says, if I go through, if I go through emotion, emotion will want to talk to me and emotion will want to delay me. Joy says, oh, come up. He says, oh, no. If I go through emotion and human reasoning... Human reasoning will try and evaporate the intensity that's in my heart. So I know I can't go through emotion. Don't take the road through emotion and human reasoning. 
Ah, right. So also bypassed intellect. Right? And he's, he knows the soul. He knows, he knows the, the voices in the soul. And I don't like this and I don't like them and I don't want this and I don't want that and nobody understands me and nobody loves me. Blah, 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 blah. He knows, Joy knows that if I go into this valley and I talk to any one of those characters, Joy will be cut off from overflowing and being expressed in the midst of my most severe trial. Now folks, I don't know what a severe trial looks like in your life. I really don't. And I'm not minimizing the intensity and, and the enormity of that trial because we all have horrendous moments. But I know there's something about the supernatural grace, and it is supernatural, that it finds a way, if it's allowed to enter, it also must, find, it also must be allowed to find a way that it does not go and get trapped in the soul, but it finds another way to be, to be um, emphasized. Because the moment it, the soul gets hold of it, it will shut it down. And the trouble is then is, when others see you in your soul, your soul manifests even more. Because you don't want others then to, to highlight what you know yourself. So then you pull, you pull yourself away from people, and people can't talk to you. Why? Because what you've done now is, you know what you feel. But you don't have the power to arrest what you feel. That's the soul. And joy can't rise. Why? Because it's been contained deep down in the valley. We all have this fight. We all have this fight. And it's, it's an ugly fight. But it's a fight we all have to, we all have to, we have to fight. Fight the good fight. Don't fight the missus, fight the fight. So when, so when was the last time you gave this trial a real good exercise? Now, here's the next one. Not only did they, out of the most severe trial, they gave themselves, and this is why we don't, the, the trial captures us. I'll tell you why. Every one of you, including me, at times, would say and consider, my heart belongs to the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm yours. I serve you, Lord. I love you wholeheartedly. God says, well, I just want to test the sincerity of your love. Okay. So in testing the sincerity of our love, these people, what, listen to what he says, they gave themselves first. To the Lord. First. The priority. And the emphasis of their heart. Was always. First the kingdom. First his righteousness. That was the emphasis. In the midst of the Macedonian people. Was the Lord of first. They gave themselves. First to God. Not to your projects. Your project doesn't get first. Not your pet subject gets first. Not anything that you're trying to push gets first. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Now, when you give yourself first to the Lord and the evidence thereof is abundant, the grace has somewhere to land. 
No, you be sat in there thinking, oh, pastor's going to pray for us, he's going to receive this grace. When you've not even given yourself to the Lord. Grace has nowhere, peace has nowhere to rest if the person has not given themselves to the Lord. Now, this is easy to say, oh, I've given myself to the Lord. The, sometimes you've got to just keep quiet and don't put your foot in it because the Lord will test the sincerity of your love. Now, Paul says this, he said, I don't write this as a command, but I just want to see if there really is, in, if there really is sincerity inside of you. Because you talk a good game. And I know I talk a good game. So the Lord says, well, Tony, let's see if you can put your actions, mirror up where your words are. So the thing is, God might say to you, right, go and give, go and give a gift. So you give a gift and then all of a sudden your finances start changing. And then you think, well, okay, Lord, shall we reduce this a little bit? <laughs> shall so, yeah, shall we reduce this, the maths a lot? Maybe let's have a, an economic uh, recount up there. Lord, if I give 50% instead of the 100%, he said, how much did I ask you to give? Yeah. Right, stop negotiating, do it. But <laughs> I'm just testing, see the sincerity of your love. Yeah. Sorry, you told me you love me. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'm wrong for hearing that. <laughs> And I've done it with God loads of times. And you think, why did me and my mouth say these things? And, you think, sorry. and then you go back to the Lord and say, sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. Uh, shot my mouth off there, didn't I? Yes, you did. You must complete what's in your heart. There's no point going backwards halfway. And this is the trouble with us. We're quick, we're quick to say we've got a commitment, but we're slow to stand on until the commitment is finally materialized so let's bring this thing to an end because i've got more than you've got patience <laughs> whatever the grace was released it created a behavior the evidence of this grace working on our lives and in our lives will be seen in the behavior of those receiving it this grace falling caused this group of people to give themselves first. The, the law of first is the most, is the primary emphasis. Amen? Amen? The grace caused them to give themselves first to the Lord. This grace also caused them to give themselves to those who they received the grace from. So they could work and bring the work, of, bring the work of grace to completion. You know, when I received from uh, Papa Jonathan, that what I receive is given for a work. It's not given so I know more. But knowing more is part of the transaction that takes place because it says it reveals the mystery and the majesty of God. And since I've stepped into this grace and partake of this grace regular, through every time I listen or I read my notes and things like that, fresh dimensions, fresh understanding, stuff I never got when I was there. It's coming to me months, years later through some of the notes and messages. That I, even now as I read, my eyes are being opened and I'm thinking, Did I, was I there when he said this? And I've said that many times. We both said that. I, was we there when he said this? It's almost like, would you remember the times when he, he would preach on the Monday... And on the Friday, if he wasn't well, he put a video on of what he preached 
on the Monday. And I'm thinking, I'm finding myself taking notes that I never took on Monday. And it was only four days ago that I heard the message being preached. But it's coming to me in a fresh new way. And it's just like, wow. It, that's how grace comes. So grace is given, not just so I can know more, but so I can come back and do a work. And then those who receive this grace, the grace must be given an opportunity to be completed. Amen? If the grace is not completed, well, the obvious is it's incomplete. And not everybody can complete the grace because they don't have the grace to complete the grace. And I don't want to sound... It's true. Yeah. There needs to be someone who can help complete the grace. So... Will you allow a, grace, a fresh grace dimension to come upon your life's church? And will you allow the grace to be completed in you? That's your challenge for today because I'm closing my, my Bible. Much to my... <laughs> Don't go back. Let's stand to our feet, please. Let's raise our hands, if we will, please, to the Father. The Macedonian church. I'll talk more about this. All God is looking for is a people who love him who will hearken unto his word, who will, who desires truth to be revealed in their innermost being. God's looking for a people like this who will pursue the grace and who are willing and who will desire and you don't mind God testing the sincerity of your own heart. You must be willing to let God test his vessel. Because you'll never be his if he can't test you. What he owns, he must be able to test. Because this is how we keep in repentance. This is how we keep our love fresh and, and the altar clean. So that God can keep on speaking into our hearts. So if that's you, desire it this morning. Say, Father, I desire to be an altar. So that the, the grace of God, when it falls, from, uh, as the fire of God falls on me, Father, the fire that's, that's built in the altar supplies the grace to my life. Father, this fire needs to be kindled. This fire needs to be carried. This fire needs to be completed. So, Father, say, help me, Lord, to carry this fire, receive this fire. Father, I clean the altar this morning. And I ask you, Father, Lord, if there's things on my altar that does not equal you being first, then, Father, I ask and I repent before you because you need to be foremost in my life. I want you to be foremost in my life. I want the flames of your love to be sincere. 
and pure. Oh, Father, call the flesh, church. Come on. Call the flesh, Lord. Oh, Father, let this grace come upon me, Lord. Come on, ask him. Let this grace come upon me, Lord. I want to be part of the Macedonian company. Who will rise up in the midst of severe trial. With joy. Father, in the midst of the severe trial. Father, help me, O God, to cut through the soul. And let me to get to the other side. So I can release joy. Father, and the work of grace will become a joy to my heart. Oh, Father. Oh, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Come on, church. The fire that fell before for the miracles is the fire that's still falling now. The same God who was amongst us 30 minutes ago is still the same God amongst us now. The revival that you needed 30 minutes ago is still the same revival you need now. Let a behavior change come upon you. Let an attitude change. Oh, Father. Father, right now. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest upon your people. Let the, the fire of the Holy Ghost burn up the chaff, O oh God. Oh, mighty God, mighty God. You know, church, I said this week to the ADT students that if the first thing you need to do if you're going to build is go and legally secure the land. You have to go and own the land first. And the, the land, that's physically, but spiritually the first thing any builder has to do is go and secure the land inside the people's hearts. You need to, every leader needs to secure the hearts and minds of people. And you do that by the grace. If you cannot secure the hearts and minds of a people, you cannot add anything to those people. And it takes a grace of God to add and to keep adding and keep adding, and keep adding. Because the more people allow you to keep adding, the bigger you become. The better you become. The stronger you become. But the less you allow to be... Uh, the, the, sorry, the least... I guess right. The less you allow people to add to your life, the weaker you become. And the more immature you become. It's only what you allow to be added to your life will make you stronger and mature for the battle ahead. 
Amen. So be very mindful of the fact that you may be open. You, may, you come to church and you may be open with God, but you may not be open this way. You can't bypass one to get to the other. Dad doesn't play those tricks. Neither can you receive me, but not receive my father. You can't play tricks with me because I can't add. If you haven't given yourself to him, I can't add. He gives me the permission to add based on what you've surrendered to him. And the moment you keep taking away and renegotiating the contract with him and with us, you will always be in a place of lack. Please understand this. These are principles that you and I cannot overlook. Always, always, right now before you go, say, Father, secure my land. I secure my land. Lord, you have, you have full ownership of me. And I give myself to you. Review the title deeds. He should have the title deeds of your heart, not you. Because God cannot add if you keep taking back the title deeds of your heart. Amen? Amen. It's something I said to the ADT students this week, and I believe it. I'm really fixed on this whole thing of, it's what I surrender to God that determines what he can build on my life. Upon the solid rock I stand, all around, all other is sinking sand. God can't, never has done, built on sinking sand. He He builds on solid ground. So, the first thing we need to secure is solid ground. This has to be solid. Amen. Amen. So raise those hands once more. And say, Father, I'm coming before you with the title deeds. I'm just checking, oh God, that they belong to you. And I haven't taken them back. I submit my title deeds, oh God, and I surrender them to you. Father, I ask you, build on Christ the solid rock. You built the church on the foundation of a solid rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Let that church be built on you. Upon that rock. Mm. Oh, Father. Keep the emphasis of heaven. Because it's primary. Amen. Lord bless you all. Have a wonderful week. Day.